0: We are in Volume 9, Session 1, of the Bible Engagement Project. This is our second to last volume that we are in today. As a church, we've gone through eight different volumes at this point. We're doing three weeks in Volume 9. We're doing a few weeks in Volume 10. And then we've gone through ten full months of Bible engagement. With ten different scripture verses and the word of God that when planted in our hearts can change us from the inside out. And I'm excited about that. Today... In volume nine, session one, we're in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and we are in Acts chapter two, verses one through 12. And the message is simply called empowered to be a witness, empowered to be a witness. Let me ask you a question, okay? And you'll understand why I feel like how I feel and what's happening in the room right now are a little bit different. Have you ever had someone steal something from you? Have you ever been robbed? Have you ever had something stolen from you? Stealing is an awkward, uncomfortable feeling. When you know you have been stolen from or someone has robbed you, it, it, it can bring something up in you and there's a whole lot of different feelings you can have. I was thinking about this just in, during our worship time that there were specific markers that I remember and how I felt at different times in my life when I know that things have been stolen from me or someone close to me. The first thing that came to mind is when I was a a little boy, and I remember uh, my parents, uh, they had two cars. One was an old Bronco, and I remember looking out the door on a a morning in the garage out in the driveway, and the car was gone, and no one knew where the car was, only to find out the next day that someone stole it out of our driveway and blew it up. And they actually torched the whole thing, and we were able to actually see it. I remember going to see it a a day or two later or whatever. And as a little kid, I remember feeling scared. That somebody stole something from us. Can't stealing make you feel scared? Right? That's about as far as I got because I didn't know what else it meant and the impact. Fast forward. I remember seventh grade. Okay? I used to go out on Halloween when I was a kid. My friends and I would go out and we'd trick or treat. Whether you like that or not or you agree, that's not the point today. I have a different opinion on that today than I even did then. However, I had this really cool water pistol. It was a big black water pistol, and I took a nice orange light stick, stuck it on the front, taped it up, so it was like a laser pistol. It was really cool. There was this kid that was in our class. He thought he was awesome. He was a year ahead of me. Grabbed me, put me in a headlock, punched me a couple times in the side of my chest and my ribs, ripped it off, and then went on his way. I was not just scared. I was angry at that point. And I remember every time I saw the kid in school, I was like, I hate that kid. Like, I want to punch that kid. I want bad things to happen to that kid. In high school, years later, I would still look at him and go, how can I hurt that kid? We're talking like years later because he humiliated me, right? Someone steals from you. You can be scared. You can be angry. Am I right? Right? Just a couple years back, trying to buy a guitar online. Some dude stole a couple thousand dollars from me, telling me one thing, told me something else. Then when I called him on it, he said, how dare are you to ask for your money back? You're a pastor. That's God's money. Oh, Okay. All right, well, Jesus, you take care of him because I, if I do, uh, bad things could happen, okay? And I got angry about it, okay? Have you ever been angry about someone trying to rob you or steal? You know what I'm talking about? I'm telling you this this morning because I'm kind of angry, okay? Here's what I'm angry about. I'm angry that in the Christian church today, and I'm not looking at the church, I'm part of the church, okay? But especially in our American christian church there has been something that has been lost in the way that we're supposed to live there's something that john ten ten shows us that the enemy comes to steal to kill and to destroy and he has stolen something from the church and you know what he's stolen he has stolen a full understanding of what it means to be filled with the holy spirit and to walk in the empowerment of the holy spirit We have lost what the meaning of that really is. Not in our heads, though some may not know, but especially in our practice and our hearts. We have tabled it and we've relegated him to something that he is not. So today we're going to start teaching on who the Holy Spirit is. And why we need to look at him a little bit differently according to what we see in scripture. I'm I'm upset about it. And not because I'm going to get out and run around and scream and yell or anything like that. I'm not really a screamer. Don't really do that. Well, it just depends on the circumstances. I'm not normally a screamer when it comes to doing things on Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that. If I ended up speaking that loud for X number of minutes, you guys would probably tune me out anyway. Because it's too much to hear all in one volume. But the devil is stolen from the church of Jesus Christ. You need to hear that this morning, and I'm going to show you why. Acts chapter 1 8 is our new faith verse, and it's outside in the lobby. And this is Jesus, excuse me, Jesus talking to his disciples. If we backtrack to 1 5, which we're not going to go there, Jesus tells them, Go and wait in Jerusalem until the gift the Father has promised you comes. He says, Go and wait. For John baptized with water, that's John the Baptist, but in a few days you will be baptized in the what? Holy Spirit. He tells them that in verse 5 of chapter 1. Verse 8, look what he says. But you will receive, say it with me, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the summary of the entire book of Acts. What Jesus is telling his disciples are, don't try to do this mission that I'm giving you without getting filled by the gift. The gift, the giver of the gift, God, Jesus himself, is going to give you a gift. His name is the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you will receive power. That word power is dunamis, and it's actually the word that we get dynamite from. You are going to have dynamite authority. You are going to have dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will then be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, which is their hometown in Judea, which is the lower area of Israel in Samaria where the half Jews and the half pagans live and to the rest of the world. And they're all pagans and God's not supposed to love those people, which is not true, but this is what he's telling Jewish people. The spirit of God is going to give you power, supernatural power for you to be witnesses to the entire world. Basically what he's saying is get ready because my spirit is going to transform this world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you that because I want to talk in just a few minutes about setting up what we're going to read in Acts chapter 2, so you understand the significance of it, and then we're going to talk specifically about the Holy Spirit and why he is relevant for us today, okay? In Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, but first before we do that, and I read what's happening, let me set up what's happening at this point in this situation. Fifty days passed. The Passover celebration. Some of you are familiar with the Old Testament Passover celebration. And that was the time where they had to sprinkle the blood of the lamb over their doorposts when they were leaving Egypt, and the angel of the Lord came and he would pass over their homes, and the firstborn of every home that did not have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost would die. That was the 10th plague when God was getting them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and they celebrate that every single year, the Passover, because the blood of the lamb saved them from death. So 50 days past the Passover celebration comes this, this celebration they call the Feast of Weeks so or the Harvest Week. Okay, It was another celebration. You know what they were doing? They were celebrating the first harvest of the wheat. That they would harvest. There was a springtime and a fall time, And they'd gather together and they'd celebrate the first harvest. Because the harvest was beginning, they would do this. And this was a pilgrim festival, which meant Jewish people from all over the world would travel this time of the year to Jerusalem and they would celebrate it together. Not just from areas of Israel, but they would come from nations all around. They would come to the pilgrimage if they had the means to do so. Um, The adult men, they would come and they would worship together. They would celebrate the first fruits, thanking God that the harvest has begun and he is meeting their needs. You with me so far? This is what's happening in Acts chapter 2, and this is where they are. Fifty days after the Passover is when this begins. Fifty or fiftieth is what Pentecost actually means. Okay, so they're celebrating the wheat harvest. And then in Acts chapter 2, this is what happens as they wait for the promise of the Heavenly Father. Verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Why? Why? Because they were doing what? They were celebrating the harvest. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. You following me so far? Pretty cool, right? Verse 7. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. What are they saying here? They're going, this continues to happen. And they're not even from our, our towns and our cities and our nations. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. That's another way of saying, like, we don't know what's going on right now. Totally confused, amazed and perplexed. Different nations to Jerusalem, hearing the praises of God spoken in their native tongue by local yokels. You with me? That you with me? You guys cool? You got it? Supernatural or not supernatural? Supernatural 100%, right? God did it during this time, during this season, absolutely 100% amazing. We're going to unpack this just for a few minutes this morning, and I hope and pray through the process of doing this, you see something different about the Holy Spirit and how he works. There's three things I want to look at with you this morning. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? I'm going to briefly touch on this, very, very briefly. Number two, what is his role in our lives? What is the biblical definition of his role in our lives? And number three, how can we experience all of him working in our lives? Just because we know the Holy Spirit, just because the Holy Spirit is in us, and just because we have all the Holy Spirit doesn't mean he has all of us. So how can we experience all of him working in our lives? Okay, so we're going to touch on this just briefly. Okay, number one, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the person and the presence of God. Holy Spirit is the person and the presence of God. I say it this way, and it might sound a little awkward grammar, grammatically speaking, but the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not an entity. He is not a ghost. He is not just a wind. He is an actual person. And I don't mean person in the sense that we know. Scripture is very clear that the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is one God in three persons. He is the person, and he is the presence of God let me break it out for you a little bit more. A person by definition is not a person because they have a body. Just because we have a body, it doesn't mean that we are a person. Actually, scripture teaches us very clearly, but before we were even knit in our mother's womb, God knew us, that he called us. This is a rental, my friends. I am renting this structure. Can some of you say amen about your rental structure? It's a lease that will come up one day and you will have to give it back after you've worn it out, okay? Because this is not us. We are not the flesh. The person is not the structure. The structure is simply a temple or a house that we dwell in during this time. That is not the definition of a person. A person has knowledge, has feeling, has will. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a body there. And it's important for us to understand that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, talk about Him as a person. We understand this when we talk about people that have passed on. Or we talk about, you know, how they made us feel. Or, you know, when we talk about, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, oh, they're looking down from us in heaven and everything. I don't want to look at those people and go, they don't have a body. They can't look at you down from heaven. They're not even real anymore. Like, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Because the person, the shell, even when we go to a funeral, if it's an open casket... You don't look at that person in the casket and think the person's in the casket. You look at what? A body. And you say, that's just a body. They're not even there anymore because the person goes to be with the Lord if they know Jesus, but the shell just stays behind. Important for you to know, the Holy Spirit is a person. Why is that so important? Because when you see him as a person, you address him differently. You live differently. You interact with him differently. If he's literally sitting next to you, If he's talking to you, if he's getting your attention, the way that you see the Holy Spirit impacts the way you live with the Holy Spirit. He is a person, and he is the presence of God. He's the presence of God in a person without a body. So when we talk about him, we will use the terms him, he. We will talk about the personification of the Holy Spirit because when he becomes an it and you get further away from an intimate understanding of who he is, it's easier for us to be further away from the Holy Spirit and to live a life that doesn't include him in our lives the way he wants us to include him. Look at John 14, 15, and 17. I'm going to show you this scripture. Jesus says this, and look how he addresses the Holy Spirit. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of what? Truth. Jesus also said in John 14, by the way, I am the way, I am the What? truth and I am the life. So he's addressing the spirit as the spirit of truth. There's a divine connection there. Then he says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And then he says, but you know him for he lives with you. Who's living with him? Jesus is living with them right now. The divine Christ is living with them at that point. And he's saying the spirit is divine. The spirit is God, the presence of God. And he will then be what in you in addition to that. And that comes in Acts chapter two. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. I want to show you this too. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He knows the Spirit of God. Why? He knows the thoughts of God. Because he's God and because he's a person. And he knows these things and he's able to think in that way. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, and look what he says here. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. It does not distribute them as it determines. He distributes them to each one as he determines. Why? Because he's a person, and he gives gifts to those that choose to follow Christ. So that's the first thing I want you to hear this morning. The Holy Spirit is a person. Are you still with me okay? He's a person. Think about that, and it's important for us to tuck that to the side and go, okay, let's move on. What is his role in our lives? What is his role in our lives? Simply said, above all things, if you were going to summarize it and say, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Maybe you'll use some different words. I boil it down to this He is our advocate. He's our advocate. And where do I get this from? John 16. Verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is good, it is for your good that I'm going away. This is when he's telling his disciples that he's going to leave the earth. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the word advocate there actually is, um, in the Greek it means paraclete. The word is paraclete, okay, which is synonymous with a counselor. And I don't mean the counselor that you go in the therapy session for, which there's an element of that. It's truly talked about from the perspective of a legal aid, an actual expert in subject matter that you use for input before you need to make a decision. Like, I think about those movies over the years where they document things over time and, you know, someone's on trial for something that they know if they open their mouth and say something that they're going to have it used against them. You know what I'm talking about? And then they say the same thing, you know, on the advice of counsel, blah, 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 blah. And they basically go ahead saying, my counsel's telling me that I shouldn't say anything. Okay, well, what's your name, sir, on the advice of counsel? And they just, and this is what they do, right? Anyone ever heard that before? They go to an expert who tells them, here's how you should respond in the situation that you are in. The advocate is our counselor. He is our paraclete. He is the one, and scripture gives so many different ex- uh, adjectives on what he can do, but he guides, he seals us, and what does that mean, like our salvation we have in Christ? He seals us. He baptizes us. He regulates he sanctifies and changes us he convicts us of sin he gives us all kinds of gifts this is what the counselor does so think about if you walk through your life with a legal counselor everywhere you went and every circumstance you came upon this counselor knew the answer and you come into a difficult situation you go what should i do what should i do What should I do, counsel? Well, let me advise you, blah, 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 blah. And they go through that and you take notes. Thank you, counselor. I appreciate that. This is how I should should respond to that. Hey, this person, they've really hurt me and I'm struggling with unforgiveness in my heart. Counselor, how should I handle this? Well, this is what God's word says about this and this and here's what you should do. Thank you, counselor. I appreciate that. You're walking into a store and there's someone that's struggling. You can see that they're struggling. Wow, that person's really having a hard day. I can see that. Counselor, what should I do? I need you to go go over and pray for them because they really need to know the love of God right now. Okay, thanks, counselor. And then you continue. Do you see how this would work in our lives? If the person of the Holy Spirit literally came with us everywhere that we saw it that way, and every time we were in a place where we weren't sure how to live, what to do, how to respond, we simply took the advice of the one who knew it all. Can you think about just Think about that for a moment. And that doesn't mean that every time you ask him for advice, it's only the big things he responds to. He can respond to small things and big things alike, but he is the one who is our advocate. He is the one who guides and seals. He is the one that gives us counsel, but why does he give us counsel? And this is so important for us to understand. In Acts chapter 1-8, I'm going to go right back to the full full circle when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Telling People about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word witness is used 35 times in the New Testament, and almost every single time it is a witness that's connected with an experience, a revelation, if you will. Why does God give us the counselor? So we can go through our life and feel great about ourselves? So we can just get through difficult times. So that we can find answers to the problems in our life that we struggle with. So we can overcome the hard things that we deal with. The answer to some of those things are yes, in part. But the real reason God gives us the advocate is so that we know that there's hope in Christ. And that we can be a witness to the world of that same hope. That is why we have the Holy Spirit. That is why he baptizes his church in the Holy Spirit. To be a witness. A witness. And what does he say about witnesses? Telling people about me everywhere. Think about this with me just for a moment. A true witness in the definition of this word means it's revelation that leads to proclamation. If we are walking in a relationship with Christ and we are asking him to fill us, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, the natural result of that walk in relationship is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ all around us. Not just Not just having the strength to get up and coming to church, not just the strength to open our Bible every once in a while, but to proclaim to the world that this supernatural power of Jesus Christ is alive and well today. To proclaim the power of Jesus Christ in every way, not just with our words, but we are so good sometimes of backing away from our words. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I can just love people with my life. Of course, you can, and that's part of what it means. I can just love people with my kindness and generosity. Of course you can. That's part of what it means. But ultimately, foundationally, the revelation that comes by being a witness and being baptized with the Holy Spirit is to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to the people around us. If we do not share the message of Christ, you can be the kindest person in the world and people will still go to hell wow, you really helped these people. I mean, they were in the ditch and they were, they were struggling or that kid was an orphan and you adopted them into this home or you were a great you know, big brother or big sister and all that and you never once told them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but their bellies were full and their souls were empty. This is the challenge that we have, church. This is what we need to be mindful of. If there is no revelation in us that leads to the proclamation, are we really experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? That's my question for you to reflect on. It's a question for me to reflect on as well. Because remember, proclamation is multifaceted. We have to proclaim the gospel and the power of Christ with our words. That's the first thing. Well, I'm not really a talker. Nonsense. I don't believe that one step. We would have to make an assumption in the New Testament that every one of the disciples were extroverted guys that loved being the center of attention and the party men. That's not true. Every single one of them didn't do that. Well, God only used people whose personalities were extroverted. The quiet ones, well, they just lived a quiet life, and all the extroverted people won people for Christ. Not true. Not true at all. When the boldness comes on you and the courage comes on to to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is God's power working in through you. It is God's power working in through me. And whether you're an extroverted person or an introverted person, whether you love large crowds or whether you, you quake at being around more than a couple people and need to go recharge in your bedroom for a couple of hours afterwards with a good book and a cup of coffee. God doesn't call us to be like everyone else. He just calls us to be filled with the Spirit so we can proclaim the gospel truth. And that could mean your family members, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. It could mean the person you bump into on the street, the person you bump into in the store, the contractor that comes to your house. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter when, and it's not a formula like the person that walks next to you. But when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, do we interpret that that really does include in proclaiming it with our words? Do we proclaim that? You know one thing that I see? And I've seen this consistently over the years is our inability to pray out loud. People will scream and yell on the greatest things. They'll cheer when people score their touchdowns or their home runs or whatever it is that they do. People will get excited around holidays. When their kids run around silly during special events and they make fools of themselves, they'll laugh out loud. We'll even praise and clap our hands sometimes in worship. Hey, can we have some people that are willing to pray? Crickets. Why? Why? Think about that this morning. Why? Well, I'm not comfortable praying. Church, it's not about you. It's about Jesus wanting to use you. It's about Jesus wanting to grow you. It's about Jesus saying you were never intended to have the authority and power in your own strength. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit coming and baptizing you afresh and anew isn't so that you can say, look what I was able to accomplish in my own strength. It was for Jesus to say, look what Jesus was able and the Spirit was able to accomplish through your frailty and your humility. You see how that works? And that doesn't mean if you don't pray like the person sitting next to you or the person on the stage or the person sitting behind you or at your home that God doesn't hear it and God doesn't effectively use prayer. It doesn't mean that if God isn't using you the way that he wants to use the person next to you that you're less effective. There is no, there is no um, respecter of persons in the kingdom of God there is no respecter of persons revelation that leads to proclamation means with our words, we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. The second thing it means is with our actions, we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And the biggest umbrella is with our life. We proclaim the truth and the power of Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit came. That's why the Holy Spirit lives in us. And that's what we're encouraged to do. And if you unpack all of the things underneath that, The empowerment of the Spirit, being able to speak in tongues, ministries of healing, ministries of encouragement, mercy, helps, conviction of sin, bringing forgiveness and forgiving those that offended us. Fill in the blank to all of the things you could think of that we need God's help in. It all begins with the Holy Spirit doing the work through us, church. Through us. But I say it as directly as I can say. If you sit here this morning or you're listening this morning and you say, I lack the courage to bring the gospel to someone else. My challenge to you this morning is not, are you saved? It's not, do you have the Holy Spirit in you? It's, does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? Or are you content to get in, but not a content to have more of him? He is our advocate, and he calls us to proclaim the gospel with our words, with our actions, and with our life. The third point this, evening, uh, this morning I want to share, and it's how can we experience all of him working in our lives, and I just started to uh, allude to it, and I'm going to say this briefly. Bear the old life and live your new life. Bear your old life and live the new life. Look at these scriptures with me, and I'm going to give you a really brief illustration. Romans 8, 5 through 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, look what he says. Paul says, we have an obligation. You see that word? We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What is he saying in all of that in Romans? Basically what he's saying is, now that you are saved and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Spirit wants to fill you, you can choose to either live by the dead you or you can choose to live by the alive you. And there's two different ways you can look at that. I'm going to give you a very, very brief example and hopefully it makes sense to you okay Um, here fish bowl right y'all with me fish bowl okay got a fish bowl got an empty container right here okay got an empty container here empty container here we don't need this this is our current life without Christ what's in here Nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. nothing. Nothing, 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 okay? Jesus, oh, I really want to be in relationship with you. Oh, I am so glad I trust Jesus. I make him my Lord and Savior. I need you. Oh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Oh, the Holy Spirit now lives in me. Ooh, look at that. Now the Spirit of God lives in me. Oh, let me just cover that up and relish in that moment. Oh, I can, feel, can you feel the Holy Spirit right now? Is your heart pounding? Can you feel it? How much of the Holy Spirit is in this vessel right now? I'm not looking for numbers. A lot or a little? A little, right? Okay, well, Jesus then says, okay, go into the world and be my witness. Okay, I'll be my witness. And all of these other vessels that we see here, they represent other people in our words, and our actions, in the way that we live. And he says, go fill others with what you've allowed me to fill you with. And we go, okay, I'll do a little bit of that. And I'll do a little bit of that. I'll do a little bit of that. I'll do a little bit of that over here and, and it's empty again, isn't it? Right? You got it? It's empty, right? Let me tell you something. When Jesus said that the old is gone and the new has come, when he said that we no longer live by the old and the flesh is no longer there, this was never intended for us to be the vessel that we fill with the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to be dead, it's supposed to be gone, it's useless. We're not intended to live by that anymore. Instead, he says, "You're a new creation." Okay, you're not sponges. It's just an illustration. Okay, but what he's saying is, the old vessel is gone; the new has come. And you can do one of two things in your journey with him: you can dabble. Look at that the Holy Spirit's right here. Isn't it beautiful? And you can try to fill all these little things, or you can say, "Don't be baptized with water like John was doing," which is good. It's a response be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit because when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you overflow, and then everybody that you meet, everybody that you see, everything that you talk to, every encounter that you have, there's always something more. And then, as he says in in Ephesians 5.18, be being filled, be being filled, go back again, get filled again. You know why? Because when you ring yourself out to people around you, when you ring yourself out to the people around you, what happens? You get, you get dry again, right? Be being filled. And this is the way it works. You with me? Do you understand how that works? You guys with me okay? All right, cool. Simple illustration. And sometimes illustrations connect with you and sometimes it's a story that actually connects with you. So I asked if one of our bridge elders would come and he would share a testimony that I think illustrates it in his own life over the years. So, Alex Thomas is one of the elders here at Bridge. We had a conversation the other week about a story that he shared in his life and how God used him to walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I asked him if he would come, and he would share that this morning. So, Alex, can you come, please?
1: Here you come, Alex. Thank you, Pastor Paul. You're welcome. All right. So, this story takes place about 15 years ago um, we had an opportunity to go for a, a mission trip to uh, uh, Guyana, and um, this was one of my first mission trips. And um, um, like we heard this morning, I had a lot of questions, I had a lot of reservations, and um, I, I, to, I told God that uh, I'm not qualified, and, and I'm not sure how I actually fit in with the team, and I'm not sure how I'm going to be used. And um, uh, we landed there uh, with a lot of prayers. We had our first night. We had a meeting. So there's a lot of small villages that actually heard about this prayer meeting. And a lot of them came and attended it. Um, And towards the end of the meeting, there was an altar call. And there was a a young girl, probably around 13 or 15 years old. And she was there with her mother. And um, she had a a deformity in her leg Mm. from the day she was born. Um, that prevented her from walking herself. She always needed help, and her mother actually was sitting in the front, and we were all standing, and um, uh, we were praying for each other, and she comes to the front, and she comes to me, because I, well, I was not praying for anybody at the time, so she comes to me, and I uh, decided, you know, I'm going to pray for her. Uh, I closed my eyes, and Before I actually prayed for her, I spent maybe 10 seconds praying for myself. God, God give me the grace. No. Uh, I wasn't expecting anything. Um, But what I did that moment is, I've never done this before and never done this later, but I opened up my heart to be used by God. Um, So I I, I prayed for her, and the night ended. Uh, we, We were all in great spirits, and she went away. A few more nights there uh, doing a mission trip, and um, I totally forgot about her. I never thought about her again. So the last day we were about to fly back to the U.S., and uh, the pastor of the church that we actually ministered at, um, she comes running and said, Hey, before you guys leave, uh, I've got to tell you something. Uh, The last night, there was a young girl who actually made it to the uh, meeting that first night. Uh, She saw a dream, and uh, in that dream... She pictured herself being in, at, in, in, that, in that prayer meeting again, uh, only that she was praying, and there was one of you actually was praying for her, and uh, there was a bright white light, and she didn't know what it was. She got very scared, and she started yelling in her sleep, so her mother came to her and woke her up. She gets up, and she sees that she's completely uh, profusely sweating, Um, So her mother decided, you know, you you probably need to get up and get a glass of water. So they get up uh, to get a glass of water together, and next thing you know that there's something wrong. It's not like any of the other times that she has gotten up from bed. This time, she's able to stand by herself. And um, it was so powerful that uh, when, when, when the pastor actually said that, I realized that it was that same young girl that I had. You know, prayed for that night, and um, it was great to hear that she, she was completely healed. This was 15 years of her life mm-hmm. that, from birth, she she could not walk, and now she's she's running around all through the other villages and saying her testimony, saying that Jesus healed her. So it was very powerful.
0: So. I do want to ask you a few questions. Isn't this an incredible testimony? Incredible testimony. I know, Alex, and I know that you don't lie. And I know that you would not have been able to come up with that story on the fly when you told me that two weeks ago. Yes. Because um, you're a very deep planner and a thinker. And I think listening to you first tell that story so spoke to my heart. I said in two weeks I want to have this conversation on Sunday morning. Let me ask you just a couple brief questions about that. Before you prayed for this girl, and I think I heard you say that. Did you ever have an experience like that before?
1: No, I did not. You didn't? Nope. Okay. Since you've
0: prayed for that girl, what is the official name of your nationally known healing ministry? There is none. There is none. There's not? No. What was the name of the New York Times bestseller book that you wrote? I didn't write anything. You didn't write anything? Okay.
1: Why not? Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the time that I allowed myself to completely immerse myself in the Holy Spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit to work in me. You hear it directly from
0: Alex, at some point in your life, did someone pray over you and say, I'm imparting the gift of healing to you to pray for people? No, they did not. They did not? Yes. And yet the Spirit that lives in you, he apportions the gifts as he chooses To give the gifts. Now that doesn't mean that won't happen again. No. Right? It can happen again. The catalyst to this wasn't what God wants to do. It's what we allow God to do through us. That's the difference, church. Can you hear the difference in this? I can't emphasize how important this is because I know you, you're... An awesome guy who loves Jesus, loves his family, and said in that moment especially, this is really out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to do what you asked me to do. Yes, and God right. used you to bring hope to a family and to a little girl who struggled. Amen? Right. So thank you for sharing, Alex. Yep, thank I you appreciate so it very much. Would you thank Alex again? And as Alex steps in our worship team with you guys, can come, um, I want to just say a couple brief things about that as we get ready to close a little bit, because here's what I think this is so important. Remember I told you in the beginning of this message that I think that we've had something stolen from us as the Church of Jesus Christ, that we have had something stolen from us. And I think what has been stolen from us is the message that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. What I think has been stolen from us is that God shows no favoritism between anyone that He willfully imparts the spirit into all who choose to trust in Him. What I think the enemy has stolen from us this morning is that we are not called to live in an old shell and just hope for the best, but we're new creations filled with a Christ, filled with the power of the Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a conquered life. A life of victory. That doesn't mean a life without problems. It means that we walk in what God has called us to walk. But it's not just about praying miracles into somebody's life. That's an element of what we talked about. The signs and wonders are an element. you know what else would be amazingly powerful? Think about this. Addictions that we don't seem able to break free of, church. Think about that with me this morning. The power of Christ lives in us and proclaims truth to the world around us. But we cannot change our addictions We cannot change our habits because the old structure still binds us. The beauty of the Old Testament into the New is the message that's the continued thread. You were once in a land of slavery and now you are in a land of freedom. You were once bound by the enemy and told you have no rights. Now you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God and adopted into his kingship. You are a son and the daughter of the Most High God. These are the lies that if we choose to embrace keep us from hearing those truths that God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to not watch other people do awesome things for God but to be a part of that journey ourselves and this morning the way that that happens is by burying the old life and living your new life asking yourself what you fill yourself with Are you focusing on the old vessel that should be crumbled and thrown away? Or are you filling yourself with the new vessel? Are you allowing the new vessel to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can outpour and pour out to everybody else that he asked you to pour into? The difference in it is not because God has called some to special ministries and others just to be regular, boring people. No, the same spirit that lives in Christ that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us. We have all of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of us? That's the question to ask this morning. So, the posture of your heart determines what you want God to use you, or how you want God to use you, and how you don't want God to use you. And can I tell you, a legitimate posturing, it may not be closed arms, it may not be, I'm not going to do this. Maybe your heart is, I want it, but I'm afraid, I'm scared. You know what? That's okay. What I know about the Holy Spirit is that he is a gentleman. He loves you. And he wants to give you gifts as you grow deep in the word, as you humbly lay your inconsistencies and your imperfectness at the altar and say, Lord, give me wisdom to walk this out and I trust you in the process. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to keep the altars open for people. And I'm not going to I'm just gonna ask you, this is what I love about the Christian church and Christianity is that there's there's no reason to try to persuade. If the Spirit's speaking to you and you're saying, I'm hungry for more, then Jesus might be asking you, through his spirit, what do you need to lay down so that you can pick this up? And that's a conversation between you and him. So the team's gonna sing. And I'm going to invite you after I pray. You're welcome to come up whenever you want. If you'd like one of our uh, our prayer team people to pray over you, they will be here as well. And they will come up when the team starts singing. But just take these next few moments and just reflect on what it means to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And ask yourself if you are looking for more of God. Jesus, have your way in our lives. God may we not lean on our own understanding but may we hear these words and these testimonies may they encourage us and be reminded that open hands and open hearts to let go of the things we need to to embrace the things we do is all you ask us to live a victorious life in Jesus name